Hello everyone and welcome to a wonderful takeover episode of Words and Nerds with two of my absolute favourite kid-lit identities. You're never going to find people that are, well, you know, more good-looking, uh, more approachable, more friendly. Uh, <laughs> Michael keeps pointing to himself, so he thinks I'm on the right track. We're doing a takeover episode of Words and Nerds, and that little giggle you heard was Michael Wagner, who is joining us. Michael, thanks for getting on board. Thanks, Adrian. Lovely to be here. And also the wonderful Adam Wallace, who's coming to us from a very sunny location uh, this morning, which is very exciting. Uh, Adam, welcome to this Words and Nerds Takeover. Thank you very much, Adrian. And yeah, I'm very sunny location. I'm not in far north Queensland. I'm in lovely Croydon down in Victoria, <laughs> where it's always sunny. Well, wherever you are, it does look very sunny. So that's that's good to see. Uh, Danny V, who is the mastermind behind Words and Nerds, has let us take over for an episode. So we're going to talk about our books, uh, what went uh, sort of the process that we went through to create them, and also we're going to um, we're going to find out if we've got a few recommendations for those stuffing those stockings at Christmas time as well because we're coming towards the end of the year but uh what we should probably do is um explain these books to those people that are listening explain the books that we're mainly going to be talking about this morning so michael would you mind kicking us off this is an amazing new book that you've released called dirt by sea illustrated by uh tom Jellett. could you give us a bit of a spiel about what dirt by sea is all about I can. Thanks, Adrian. Um, so Dirt by Sea is about a father and his daughter and his little daughter. They live in um, outback Queensland, a long way from the ocean. And they're, one September, they're, um, they're standing up for the national anthem, which is on TV. You know, at the end, end of the footy seasons, they have... Uh, they, they often have someone singing the national anthem. Well, they're, they're watching TV with Nan and Gramps and they all stand up to for the national anthem. And the little daughter, Daisy, she stops. She's halfway through the national anthem. She says, I don't like the national anthem, Dad. And he says, what? And she <laughs> says, it says we're a pile of dirt in the ocean. And he <laughs> says, where does it say that? And she says, it says we're dirt by sea. And dad goes on to explain something that I had to look up myself. Girt means surrounded. Mm. And she, she looks out the window in her, in her sort of farmhouse where she's living with uh, Nan and Gramps and her dad. And she looks out and she sees nothing but or, uh, orange or red dirt all the way around her. And she says, we're not girt by sea. We're girt by dirt. <laughs> and, and dad says, and dad says he realizes that um, that's the moment he realizes that he's been a, in a bit of a he's been a bit flat for for a few years um, after the death of his wife, Daisy's mother. And he hasn't he hasn't given Daisy the experiences that he should have, because just during that period of grief, he's been he's been struggling. And he decides to compensate for it all, as you do <laughs> go from one extreme to the other. And take her on a journey around every or oh, lots and lots and lots of beaches all the way around Australia in order to discover how girt by sea Australia really is, and also to discover uh, beach culture and um, and have a giant adventure all summer, just her and her dad. So it's that's that's what that book's about, and it's told in a in a an, a kind of I think it's a unique format. Um, I don't know that we were aiming for unique, but it, it, it turned out unique. Um, it's a picture book, 
but it really is like comic book format or maybe graphic novel is what you'd call it. I don't know what you'd call it, but, um, but, and it's, and even though that it might sound a little heavy, it's not the slightest bit heavy. Um, There's, it's just dad and Daisy having a lot of fun together, which is based a little bit on my relationship with my very cheeky and naughty daughter, Liz, who is 30 now, but when she was the age of Daisy, six or seven, um, she was extremely cheeky and <laughs> extremely naughty <laughs> and a whole lot of fun. So um, so it, it's it sort of brings that sort of relationship as they travel around Australia together just as a, a father and a daughter. So that's mm. what it's about. It's a beautiful story. It's an amazing story. It's got rave reviews and we're going to ask some more questions about it. Don't worry about that, Michael, but I just <laughs> want to make sure that uh, Adam gets his chance also to mention his latest book which is uh, Pugnacious and Scuttlebar. Tell us a bit about that, Adam. Uh, well, first I want to ask Mark, Michael a very quick question, though. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. It, you, you said that Lizzie was very cheeky and naughty. Does she get that off you or her mum? <laughs> uh, there's absolutely no need to even ask, Adam. It's from me. <laughs> I thought so. I thought so. <laughs> so um, I may have encouraged it. I'm not sure. <laughs> didn't didn't she inspire another one of your creations? Uh, the uh, the cheeky uh, slapping. What was it? The little yeah, the Betsy the butt slapping baby. <laughs> yeah, right. when when Liz was about four, she decided it was absolutely hilarious <laughs> to sneak up behind us all and slap us on the butt and then run away giggling. Like it was unsafe in your own home. You'd be bending down to get a carrot out of the bottom of the fridge and whack. And then Liz would be toddling off thinking she was hilarious. So she, that is hilarious. hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she was hilarious. <laughs> Speaking of hilarious, tell us about Pug and Scuttlebutt. I would love to. So very similar to Michael's, not at all. Um, so yeah, Pugnacious and Scuttlebutt. Actually, it was, it was really interesting. So the, the sort of idea for the story came, I was just reading a list of words that someone had put on the internet of words they thought kids would find funny. And it inspired a couple of stories. The first two words I saw were numbskull and nincompoop. And I'm mm. like, that's an amazing title for a book. <laughs> that could be the title of this takeover <laughs> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Numbskulls and nincompoops. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then I saw pugnacious and scuttlebutt. And I just, it just sort of sparked something of going, well, pugnacious has the word pug in it, obviously. And, and so I looked up the actual definition of pugnacious and it means quick or eager to fight and argue. And I'm like, I just want to do a pug that wants to punch people and argue. And so that was pugnacious. And then scuttlebutt means gossip. But when I when I first sort of heard or read the word scuttlebutt, my brain was like, you know, when dogs do that butt shuffle thing along the ground. Mm. And so, so I'm like, okay, it's a, that's like a really nervous greyhound that does this butt shuffle. And 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 it turns out that, that the greyhound, who initially is known as run, 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 because he's very, 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 very fast and loves to run, he get his his bed gets tampered with before a big race, before his first big race, by another racing greyhound called Slow Coach, and Slow Coach puts itching powder in in the bed, and so run 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 run. He's racing away, he's winning winning winning, and then his bum gets itchy, so he does the big butt shuffle and gets past and loses the race, and everyone laughs at him, and there's gossip. So he's like, I'm never going to run again, ever. And so it's about the the two and their sort of adventure coming together at the pound, and then how they eventually giving it away, become friends and walk off into the sunset together. Oh, beautiful. Aww. 
<laughs> yeah, it's, uh, so it was very fun to write. The, the really sort of contrasting characters and how they come together. And then there's the dog catcher coming into it as well, who is S.M. Elibat. And he is determined to catch them. He's never not caught a dog before that he's been after. So, um, yeah, there's that sort of challenge there too. So, yeah, it was very, very fun to write. Really nice process. And the illustrations are done by Wayne Bryant, who Michael has also worked with. Mm. And they are amazing. Like the, the And, and the, the layout, the design by Christy Lund-White, also incredible. So, yeah, the book, it's funny, you send off this little word document with a story written on it and then it comes back it's, like, it's almost like an animation when you mm. when you look at it it's incredible it is it's 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 like it's epic like it just it's a pleasure to read it's so it's designed so beautifully it's um yeah. wayne's done an amazing job uh you know obviously taking your idea and and uh brought it to life and then as you say christy's just placed everything in beautiful it's so readable it's just fun to read and i love that i love that new sort of format that's emerging it's great uh, and I should finish off, I should round off this uh, motley crew. Um, and my uh, latest book is Furball Spy Cat. And mm. it's all about Sid Furball, who's the greatest spy in the world. But um, he'd actually rather just be uh, having a nap, really, to be honest. Um, which is, which is, uh, there's not a few similarities between myself and Furball at times. Um, <laughs> apart from the spying aspect, I just want to have a nap. But um, it's about Furball and his team. He's got two best friends. Uh, one is Jade, his karate coach, and one is Kit, who comes up with all these gadgets. And basically, it's a bit of an homage to um, James Bond. And um, I used to, with my dad and I, and, you know, totally problematic problematic now. I understand that. But back in the day, uh, I used to watch all these uh, movies with my dad. And I used to love, the bit I loved about James Bond the most, and it was probably, uh, it was probably the Sean Connery <laughs> incarnation. Where, no, actually, you know what? It was probably a mixture of Sean Connery and Roger Moore. But they always used to, you know, get rid of the bad guy. And then they'd say some absolutely pithy line, you know, that was just so bad, you had to laugh. And I thought, I would love to incorporate that sort of stuff um, into a story. So I took like, so the, the dodgy dad jokes, basically, from James Bond. And my youngest daughter, she loves cats. Like, she's obsessed with cats. Uh, and she has a cat toy she takes everywhere. We've got a next door neighbor's cat who basically spends more time here than um, where where she should because she gets so well looked after by my youngest daughter. And my youngest daughter is always saying, Dad, please write me a story about cats. And I'm actually probably more of a dog person. So it's never really occurred to me. But then I thought, OK, I'll finally I'll finally listen to um, <laughs> some of my greatest supporters, my own family, and I'll, uh, I'll include cats in, in a story. So I thought if I mashed up cats, with James Bond, I'd probably come up with kind of a fun concept. So that's that's where Furballs come about. And also it's the first time I've actually, again, I've got my daughters to thank for this because when they, when they were, particularly when they're young and now they just do it all the time, they used to, they used to draw so much and they used to uh, ask me, how would you draw, uh, you know, a plane dad or how would you draw someone on a bike, blah, 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 blah. And so I'd, I'd sit down there and I'd draw because I used to draw a lot when I was a kid. In fact, I used to sort of be known as the arty kid when I was at primary school. Uh, I'm not sure. We'll find out what you guys were known for in primary school in just a moment. Oh, yeah. I'll be excited to find out. <laughs> <laughs> but I was sort of known as the arty kid. And then when I became an adult, I just sort of stopped stopped drawing. And so my girls got me back into drawing. And they and again, like with the cat thing, they kept saying to me, Dad, you got to you got to draw one of your books one day. So eventually... Um, I, I listened to them and I submitted some drawings along with this idea and, and here it is. It's furball. So it's out in the world. Very, very exciting. Yeah. And it's well awesome. So what it's we, very funny. 
<laughs> what were you known for? Uh, uh, I'll, I'll ask Adam first so, so that Michael can come up with a cover story. <laughs> Good thinking. I, I was a bit of a I was a bit of a floater at, at primary school and high oh. school where I was in sort of different groups, and so describes himself <laughs> as a floater. Not, not the sort of floater you were thinking about. Um, but yeah, no. So I, I I was kind of sporty, so I would play sport with sporty kids. I I like being funny, so I'd be with the funny kids. I was good at maths, so I would be with the maths kids. And yeah, so I sort of so I was I was a bit of a an everybody but a nobody at the same time. So um, I don't know if anyone actually even knew me at all at, at primary school. I was like, who's that guy? Does he go here? <laughs> what? You're you're an in betweener like that UK series. I was an in betweener, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Michael? Well, well, I actually moved primary school twice, so I went to three different primary schools. So I guess I was kind of like the new kid for most of the time, you know. So I was, I was like a few years here, a couple of years here, and a couple of years there. So um, I guess you know the new kid, but um, you learn to sort of make friends quickly by doing that. So um, I was probably thought of as a. I, I think I was a reasonably smart kid, not not a, a total idiot, hmm. but um, you've tapered off though. <laughs> yeah, I, I started well I always start things well and then taper a little <laughs> um, and and a little bit sporty as well um, and um, probably a reasonable sort of all-rounder hmm. oh very good very good what about you uh, yeah well I was the, I was definitely the arty kid but speaking being arty Michael as you said before it's kind of is like a graphic novel is this like your first uh, full full-blown I mean it's full color uh, graphic novel, hardcover. It's like it's quite uh, an incredible package. Is this your first um, project along these lines? It and were, th were there sort of some challenges involved? There were, and <laughs> it is, and there were. Um, yeah, it, it, it's. It actually took poor Tom Jellett three years to illustrate. Three years. Three Ooh. years. Wow. Um, because it it's it's really quite. It's it's not the thirty normal thirty two pages. It's forty. But we. When we started working on this together, we got so excited. We wanted, would have happily made it 90 pages, but he'd still, he'd still be doing it now if we didn't get reined in by our, um, our uh, editor, Michelle, at Penguin Random House. Who's a legend. Who is a legend. Um, and, in fact, she was a massive contributor to this. She really, really did know how to hone, the, keep the best of what of our all of our ideas and contribute some of hers as well and get rid of the stuff that was you know we could get rid of uh, although you know I, I wish it was there uh, uh, but but obviously there's just limits to what you can you can end up producing but yes look for me it was a tough job in fact I would say it's almost rather than having written a picture book it feels like what I've really done is written almost a movie script because when you do a graphic novel, you really, there's not a lot of prose in it. Mm -hmm. So you're really relying heavily on just instructions for how something should look and then, um, and how it should play out visually and then dialogue. Mm -hmm. So that reduces the, that takes all the prose out. So you end up with something that looks very much like a script, just instructions for Tom and then, or suggestions really, rather than instructions for Tom, the illustrator, and and dialogue. And the dialogue's constantly refined. I, I, I've never looked at a draft of anything and not refined it, even if it's 50 drafts in. I just, I, I, I can't 
let it just be. <laughs> and 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 I only know that I've finished uh, that I need to just get this away from me when I'm starting to undo the last round of changes. Mm. So so I'm starting to go, no, it was better before, it was better before, that was better before. And then I think, okay, now I'm I'm overcooking it. I need to just get this thing to someone else's fresh eyes and have them uh suggest what's good and what's not. I've lost sight of it now. Mm. So, but yeah, really big really really big um job for all of us and um but you know uh just and lots of challenging discussions as well along the way lots of um because we all had lots of ideas i think we were all really quite into it and therefore everyone's contributing lots and lots of ideas and 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 what happens then is um you get too many ideas and you've got to start culling and and that's a painful process because everyone wants their ideas in and 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 naturally, but we we dedicated ourselves to the end product. You know, we dedicated ourselves to what's very best for the story, and for the book. And mm. um, and so we we let that be our guide at the whole time and let try to keep our egos out of it. Not easy for guys like us. That's right. <laughs> so <laughs> so um. So we, but we, yeah, yeah. After a lot of effort, we, we finally got there. I was going to ask as well, um, like family is obviously a super strong theme in that. And a lot of your books, and, and I kind of know the answer to this, but um, people might be interested to hear as well, how, how you came to the conclusion that family was a strong theme in your stories or something you wanted to write about. Yeah. Thank, thanks, Adam. That's right, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, well, I did a, a little exercise that I discovered and I encourage other people to do it as well. Mm. Very simple Jazzercise. Exercise. It was, is that right? Jazzercise? <laughs> That's not simple. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> not for me. Uh, so, um, so this was, this was a little exercise where I wrote, wrote down my 10 favorite stories, whether they're TV, uh, book, um, even real life, maybe. Uh, but also uh, movies, whatever. Just write down ten, and then then write down um, what they uh, mean to me thematically. So, what are they about? You know, to me, not from a literary criticism perspective, but just to me, that story means this. That story is about this, and that sort of thing. And then look for patterns in the meanings, and then that those patterns are what you really care about. So that's what you, if you respond to that in other people's storytelling, then it's good to write about that yourself because that's what you genuinely, genuinely care about. And sometimes in an effort to be super smart or do something clever, we, we can deviate away from what we actually care about and try to do something that's less authentically us. And so when I, when I did this exercise, uh, what one of the th the three things that came up was um was family value or family life or family values or family i don't know but family mm. was really really important to me so um to my surprise i wouldn't have guessed that in a million years but then that made me think okay well maybe i need to actually try and put go more towards family stuff and, and then subsequently, I've written things that people really like about families, like um, Why I Love Footy and Why I Love Summer, which are about, which are about a little family told from the perspective of a little boy in the family. Um, but there's a, there's a lot of 
family stuff going on in in those stories a celebration of family really even though they're they're about summer and football but they're also mainly about family or secretly about family i guess Mm. um and 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 um and other things i've done as well you sort of where the family has been kind of what it's about the dynamics the relationships and all that sort of stuff in the family and how they're kept strong and positive and and even through difficulties they're restored and 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 back to good full health um that's that's sort of what you know is more of a driver than i ever realized about what i want to write about so yeah so and 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 i yeah that got me thinking more in terms of well what can i do about family what can i do about strong family bonds and um and then once you start thinking about that ideas come to you when you start it naturally occurs that you write about that sort of stuff and do you feel that's um now that you've narrowed in and you know you know yourself a little bit better as a writer do you think that's helped with your writing i think it's made me write better things Mm. and and i think it's also helped in another way It, it takes a lot of the effort out of the writing process because you feel like you're writing something that you're actually passionate about genuinely passionate about so it's like much easier to write when you're thinking along those lines it's much Mm. harder to write when you're trying to solve a puzzle you know it's trying to create something for an audience say or doing something um that's not as authentically what it's trying to reach a market say say so you might think okay wizards are really popular at the moment i'll write mm. a wizard story <laughs> well that's a hard that's a much harder effort than writing what you actually care about writing about yeah it, so so it's it's made it a bit bit less uh of a chore to actually mm. write the stories and a bit yeah yeah so it's been it's been good and i think the end result's better too hey adam that uh, bringing it back to pugnacious and scuttlebutt um have you done that uh, that sort of uh, self-reflecting on your writing and was this a product of of doing such a thing um oh, i have done it uh, after michael told me about it i did it and funnily enough mine came up as revenge um, <laughs> as my theme so i don't know what that's saying about us but um yeah and and yeah well it's sort of revenge um underdog movies i love that sort of that battler and that underdog so in terms of pugnacious and scuttlebutt i mean it's there a little bit and probably going to be more so in the second one but more the dog catcher wanting to get revenge on the dogs who who do escape in the end but um yeah but i also love that the the opposites and the buddy movies and you know throwing characters together who don't go together and just seeing what happens so that was definitely what i did in this one but yeah fully fully revenge i look at um you know even princess bride which is a story about true love in one way but i love the revenge Mm. sort of storyline in that so Mm. Yeah, yeah. So I probably need to do more revenge stories, actually, because I haven't really... I mean, I've done it in real life, just not in my stories. So I need to, <laughs> I need to do that a bit more. Yes. <laughs> I've been too nice. Yes. You know, to get... <laughs> so Pugnacious, there's a little bit of, as you said, a little bit of revenge going on in, in Pugnacious and Scuttlebutt. But um, I wonder, you know, you've had such amazing success with the New York Times bestselling books and oh, the How to Catch a series and and the Fart Clubs and all the rest of it, Fart Boy and all the rest of it. Um, uh, what have you learnt across the journey that you now apply to your next project? Or do you have to sort of relearn everything from the word go? I mean, you know, this is stunning success that you've had. What have, what have you taken from it? Um, 
<laughs> that's, that's pretty edge, isn't it? Look, it's a tricky question because you you do learn so much as you go along. But I think one of the biggest things I've learned is, which takes the pressure off massively, is that you don't know what's going to be a success. Like you, you can write something that you think is amazing, incredible. You're really passionate about it and it does nothing. You can write one that's not a little throwaway story. You know, you still put everything into it, but you sort of write it, you send it off and think, oh yeah, you know, hopefully. And, and that was, and that's what happened with me with the first New York Times one where I got asked by the publisher, they're like, you know, do you want to write this story? It's about, I mean, in America, St. Patrick's Day Eve is huge. Kids set traps and parents pretend the leprechaun's been there. Story about kids trying to trap a leprechaun. Yep, no worries. So I wrote it. My niece did the, the research on what leprechauns like and don't like so we could set up the traps and sent it off. Thought nothing else of it after I sent it off. Saw the pictures. They look great. And that was it. And that became the book that changed everything basically from there. So, and I had no idea that was going to be the one. So I think in terms of writing it, because, and, and like Michael was saying before, like we, we can we can go to looking at what's popular at the time and we can do all this sort of thing and there's wizards or there's vampires but really, if we just write what's authentic to us and what we enjoy and write how we want to write, then that's sort of a win regardless of how the book does. So I think that's the, the biggest thing I've learned. And it's like, um, and again, Michael may have even told me this one. You're a source of wisdom for me, Michael. Uh, I, think it was, I think it was like Helen Mirren or someone where they're talking about doing, a, you do make a movie and it's like firing an arrow at a target. And then the arrow might hit the target or it might, a gust of wind might blow it away or it might blow it towards the target. There's all this stuff that's out of your control. All you can do is make the best move you can. And then the arrow's fired, go on to the next one. It, it's gone, it's done. And, and that I think is one of the biggest things I've learned is yeah, just to really enjoy the process of writing it and have fun writing it. And, and, and then it's done, celebrate it, move on to the next one. Mm. And Adrian, can I interject with something, reflections on that? Um, I, I, a similar thing happened with why I love footy, which I just sat down and wrote spontaneously for no, I wasn't trying to write anything. I just wrote, suddenly found myself writing why I love footy and it took about 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And it also was the first picture book that I, I had published and has done really fantastically well. Um, but, you know, just like with your, how to catch a leprechaun, um, it was really a lifetime and 10 minutes mm, yes. that that led to that that little bit of that writing i don't know if it took you 10 minutes it took me 10 but it was really it really was more like a lifetime and 10 minutes so we don't want to give the false impression that anyone can just sit down and and, and rattle off a, a picture book or something anytime they like um but it, it, you you had done i don't 1 million hours of writing <laughs> before you wrote that you know, uh, um, and and I had also, so we were well, we were able to capture the moment because of the amount of practice and thought we'd done previously, and and also the life experience and how we'd processed it in our minds. So, um, so yeah, while it, it, it it's a, a friend of mine, Terry Denton, who's an illustrator who who did the thirteen story mm. treehouse. I think I've heard of him. Yeah, you might have yeah, heard of I him. I haven't. So no. <laughs> He said at one point, he he suddenly realized um, that he was able to draw without thinking. Mm. So up until that point, this is probably when he was doing his 10,000 hours of practice, he had to think about what he's drawing and then he translated into what his hand did and, mm. and, and actually draw. 
but there was a point at which he suddenly realized I can draw without thinking. Mm. I can just draw. And that's like, I think that's a huge uh, achievement and the result of a, a vast amount of practice getting there. And suddenly you can actually do it without thinking like your leprechaun story, Adam, you know, don't underestimate the amount of practice that had gone into that beforehand, you know, and, and, and all that stuff. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think two things I said out of that one is that we can kind of discredit speed a little bit. Like we think if it's written quickly, it's not as good. Like we have to work it and work it and work it and work it and work it Four fifty drafts and hours and hours and hours. But well, I agree. Once you put that work in the, the speed comes from all that work. And, and just cause it took 10 minutes doesn't mean it's any less, any better or worse than other stories you're potentially going to write and it can have that rawness and authenticity about it as well and and the other thing is that, that when you're talking about that with the all the hours and, and terry where bruce lee talks about even doing martial arts i think it's similar where um at the start you're you're kind of you're kind of natural and throw yourself in because you don't know any different you, you just and same with writing you just write because you don't know any different you don't know the rules and you, and you just sort of it flows out naturally but it's probably not technically great. Then you start learning the technical things as you build up your hours, but then you get a bit clunky because you're thinking about the technical things and, and doing all that. And so it doesn't flow quite as well. And then when you can get past that, then it becomes natural and quick again, and you're not thinking about it, but you've got the technical stuff underlying it. And then it flows out, but suddenly you're, you naturally know the structure of a story or you naturally know when it can go a different way as well. So. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's it's putting those hours in and and doing that makes it faster at the end. And you hear people like Sia who say, "Yeah, I wrote that. I wrote Chandelier in ten minutes and stuff like that." Because it just once you know it, it just flows out, and you can and you can adapt it on the run. Mm, yeah. So it's drawing without thinking, writing without thinking, and I often talk without thinking too. I find <laughs> I find that's really held me in good stead over the years. <laughs> yeah, no, Phil. Sometimes it doesn't always carry out to everything. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll bear that in mind. Good, honest feedback. Um, we want to get back to Pugnacious and Scuttlebutt, but I wonder if, if Michael, you had a, uh, you had any questions you wanted to ask Adam about this new uh, junior fiction title? Well, actually, I was going to ask, I was going to ask Adam about his life as an author, if that's Oh, right. yeah, please. Yeah. Now, Adam, you've got quite the bachelor pad there. Now, a lot of women <laughs> and a lot of people who, who are, are listening and watching will be very fascinated to know that you're in a living in a bachelor type style of existence. <laughs> I, don't uh, going, I don't know where it's going either, but I like it. It's become a bit Love Island. <laughs> I just wanted to know how you've how you've set up your bachelor pad for fun when you you know just for fun things to do. Yeah, look, I mean, is is this a PG rated podcast or where where we go? Well, I understand it to be PG, so uh, yeah. Okay, we'll talk about the the, P. The question was, from what I understand, is how have you set up your bachelor pad with fun things to do? <laughs> no, we'll, we'll we'll keep it very PG, uh, which means we'll talk about pool and golf. So mm. it works works beautifully. Uh, so I did. I mean, it was actually. Uh, so I just bought this house three years ago, which was just before lockdown, and I think once lockdown started, and I love the area, and I just wanted a house that. I just really enjoyed coming home to or, or not leaving as, as the case may be. 
And so, yeah, so I, I got, got a pool table, which is also great for my writing. I would sort of write for half an hour, 45 minutes, go play a few games of pool. And um, I mean, you guys come over and we'll play pool and we'll chat and all that sort of thing as well. And it's just a really nice sort of central thing there. And through lockdown, it was fantastic. And then I got a dartboard as well, which was was also really nice. And then the um, the the sort of uh, the, the topping on the cake, which I can't eat because it's um, got dairy and sugar in it. But the <laughs> topping on the cake was um, I had my backyard, which is a smallish backyard, but it it wasn't draining, so it would sort of you know be a sprinkle of rain, and it would just this be this slush in the backyard, and the grass was dying off, and it wasn't great. And I thought, well, I had thought about getting just a little bit of artificial turf. And then I thought, what if I actually get artificial turf over the entire backyard, put a few holes in. And so, yeah, I have an, um, an 18 hole mini golf course in my backyard, which is 18 hole. An 18, well, it's, I mean, well, actually, I mean, there's, there's sort of, there's, there's six actual holes. I've plotted out an 18 hole golf course. But in reality, there's infinite holes because you can start anywhere and go to any hole. I've got a new hole now where you start on the on the deck out the back and you go off the deck down the stairs into the hole. Um, <laughs> you can go around the thing. There's a garden bed in it. It's, it's, I actually stood out the, the first day, the first night that, that it was finished. I, I wasn't allowed to go out on it because I had to sort of set and settle and everything. And the next day I was out there playing golf and then I was just hit a shot and I was standing there and I hadn't even meaning to and it came out out loud. I just went, I've never been this happy in my life. And it was just—it was the greatest moment. They say things can't make you happy. That's because they don't have a mini golf course. Is my answer to that. It's crazy. I love it. And again, and 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 a lot of that in terms of the writing life, like that, I have that time to be here and write, and and fortunate enough to be able to write full time, or have time to do things like that. And and I used to be an engineer, and writing is just given me so many experiences and I've mean, been to New York, I've been to Slovenia, I've been to all these amazing places that I would never even thought of going to and the experiences I've had there have been amazing as well and, and all because of yeah all from all from writing which is amazing and I love writing as well it's like it's win-win-win. <laughs> it is pretty amazing because you, you undersell the pool table. The pool table is smack bang in the middle of the living room. Like you walk into your house and yeah. you're greeted by a pool table where other people might have a coffee table, uh, you know, and Michael has, has his bonsai trees and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> and the jazzercise area. And the jazzercise area. <laughs> the yoga mats. Um, you, you, um, you have a pool table right in the middle. You, you're like, you know, come in and play pool. That's your, that's your go-to, I reckon. Yeah, it definitely is. And what's great about it is, and everyone's like, oh, you don't have a, you don't have anywhere to sit and eat. I mean, I sit and eat on the couch anyway, but it's a pool table that comes with a thing you put over the top. So it, it actually transforms into a dining table as well. I don't have chairs, but I have a dining table. So <laughs> yeah. it, it is there. I've never seen it in that configuration though. It's always no, ready for pool. It's been months. <laughs> uh, well, it was great fun. Um, uh, sort of kicking off the junior fiction uh, list at Larrikin House, wasn't it, Adam? It was a bit of an honour for us. It was really good and and great to be able to do it as they were sort of starting up and they were really excited and passionate about doing the junior fiction and, and great to be able to do it at a similar time with you as well. We kind of went through the process together, which was really nice and 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 very different experiences as well as I was getting mine illustrated and you were illustrating yours. And, um, and I was going to ask you as well, like that, that sort of illustrating it, which you hadn't done before, and it was not lightly illustrated. I mean, it's <laughs> nearly nearly a couple hundred pages, I think, or mm. 170 pages or so, and and illustrated every page. It's almost it's not quite graphic novelly like Michael's, but 
there's a lot in it. How, how did you find that experience of illustrating it? <laughs> it was it was like it was like I ran a marathon, but I was expecting to run just like around the block. <laughs> That's what it was like because it was massive. It, it's a it's a lot more, and you know, obviously, um, uh, this just shows uh, how ignorant I am um, and how ungrateful I am <laughs> because I had no idea how much work goes into it. Uh, and I have I've worked with a lot of amazing illustrators. I can't imagine Tom Jellett doing a full. Uh, coloured graphic novel like Dirt by Sea. I mean, there's so much work that goes into these things um, and I had no idea. And in fact, sometimes I'll draw a, a small picture like something that goes up in the top third of the page or whatever uh, and it'll have taken me all morning and I'll sit back and I'll think to myself, that looks like it should have taken five minutes. <laughs> it's like, and it's like, oh gosh, this is brutal. Um, but I'm so glad that I did it. And it's something that I've wanted to do for a long time, but I just sort of always sort of put it off. And if it wasn't for my girls constantly saying, dad, why don't you draw your own pictures? I would, I would never have done it. I just, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad I've done it. And I hope to do a lot more because it is great fun. It's so rewarding. And I tell you what, going into schools, and being able to show them visuals and being able to draw with kids, it just adds another level to school presentations where you can engage them on a whole nother level rather than just talking. Because a lot of the time you're talking about ideas and where ideas come from and all that sort of stuff. And it's it's obviously it's it's a little bit esoteric at times, right? But this you can draw in front of them and they can draw along with you. They can they can move move around a bit and you can show them, oh, I drew this picture because it's a little bit of a nod to this great scene from this movie. And so it suddenly becomes really... Uh, uh, you can engage kids on a whole new level. And that's also something that I've loved about this project now because it's totally transformed what I do in school. So I've loved it. It's a lot more work than I expected, but I've absolutely loved it. Mm. Well, it's been great talking with Adam Wallace, the amazing Adam Wallace, and Michael Wagner, who's also okay. And we've been <laughs> chatting with them all about their new books, Girt by Sea, or Dirt by Sea, I should say, not Girt by Sea, obviously, Dirt by Sea, uh, pugnacious and scuttlebutt and of course my new book which is furball they are all out now and they all make great christmas presents but because we are coming towards the end of the year i thought uh we'd finish off this takeover episode i might ask my great mates here is there a book or two that they might suggest would make a great stocking filler what are you going to stuff in your stocking this year adam wallace well, I mean, I, I think if I was, you know, shopping for the for the top ones, I'd probably go um, How to Catch an Elf by some guy called um, Adam Wallace um, or Twas the Fart Before Christmas by the same guy. Yeah. I, I would actually, um, actually I, 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 was, I was thinking before, I couldn't remember the title of it, but the, so I've, I've found it now, but there was a book when I was a kid. So I think, I don't know when it was written in the 60s or 70s, maybe something like that, um, which is Father Christmas Goes on Holiday by Raymond Briggs. A classic. And I loved it. I loved it. And that from memory as well, I don't have a copy of it, but from memory, that was a big graphic novel. It is totally graphic novel. Well. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And about Father Christmas wanting to get away. He's a bit grumpy, wants to get away and, and not be recognised and all that sort of stuff. But yes, that was, that was, that's really fun. And I've looked up that you can still buy that around now as well. And then I just did a bit of a Google of, of Christmas stories. And there's one called, it's called um, Letters from Father Christmas. And it's actually by Tolkien, oh. um, who wrote a couple of other books as well. <laughs> and it's basically, but it's a book of letters that he wrote to his kids every Christmas either from Father Christmas or a talking polar bear or something like that. And that just sounds fascinating. So actually, <laughs> I want to get a copy of that for myself from my stockings. That, that sounded awesome. But yeah, so they're, they're the two I would recommend. 
Fantastic. Okay, great. Well, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of classics there um, for sure. And they don't have to be Christmassy books though, Michael. Have you, are, you, uh, are you suggesting, uh, but happy for them to be Christmassy books. What, would you, what are you going to stuff in your stocking? What would you suggest? A few recommendations. Well, well, I'm going to recommend one from a very good author named Jane Godwin. Never heard of her. <laughs> Do you know her? May somehow? or may not be married to me. I'm not sure, but um, uh, it, it's a book called "What Do You Wish For," which is a beautiful picture book illustrated by Anna Walker. Um, so it's one of their one of the books that they produce together, which is which are always beautiful, mm. um, and just about about a Christmas making a Christmas wish and about um, appreciating everything as it is at the moment. So, you know, being really a, living in the moment and appreciating things as they are right now. Um, but mm. also a, a couple of books that we loved when, and I loved reading to the kids and when the kids were little, they loved hearing uh, mm. as well. One of them is by Quentin Blake, who's the illustrator who did a lot of Roald Dahl's or most of Roald Dahl's work, or maybe all of Roald Dahl's books. Um, but it's a book, a picture book of his own called All Join In, um, which is a, a several very, very funny uh, poems, but they they read like songs. So you can almost sing them. And in fact, you can sing them. And our, we used to sing them together as we were reading them. But my favourite book for kids of all time, for little kids, is mm. called The Big Honey Hunt by, it's the Berenstain Bears. Oh, yeah. And about a dad taking his son to find some honey and go, not going to the store to buy honey because that's boring. <laughs> we get, we're going to go and get our own honey. And it is hilarious. <laughs> and just the, the rhyme and the the, uh, the rhythm of the whole thing is just joyous. So the Berenstain Bears, um, the Big Honey Hunt is another one I'd suggest. The Big Honey Hunt. I love it. All right. Uh, great stocking fillers. And I, I didn't go for a Christmas theme, um, but uh, I probably should have in hindsight, but I didn't. Uh, so I just picked one of my favourite books from this year. So once you've obviously picked up a copy of Dirt by Sea, Pugnacious and Scuttlebutt and Furball, obviously then you'd probably think about getting something else as well. And that might be <laughs> that might be uh, from two uh, Victorian creators, Chris Kennett and Jack Henselite, and they released a new junior fiction book this year, and it's called Crossbones. It's about a, a, a group of motley dogs that are pirates, uh, and it's very, very funny. And for anyone that knows Chris Kennett's work, and I know, Adam, you've had books with Chris Kennett, so you, yep. you know him quite well. He's done amazing illustrations all the way through. It looks like a Pixar movie. It's a junior fiction, uh, it's almost graphic novel-ish, um, but it's, you know, backgrounds and uh, different angles and all the stuff that Wayne does so well in Pugnacious. Um, and so if anyone, if, if you've got a reluctant reader out there, uh, they probably would really love to pick up all our books, but also, of course, um, <laughs> Crossbones by Chris and Jack too. That would be yeah. my recommendation. All right. Uh, what can we look forward to in 2023? In a, f a couple of words, uh, Adam, you got new books coming out? Uh, I do. So there's a new Fart Boy coming out. Oh, yes. And there is, I think, at least one, maybe uh, there's a new Fart Club coming out in December and another one coming out next year. And then a new series, another spinoff for younger readers in, in the Fartiverse, as we call it, um, called Farty Pets, which is a decodable <laughs> reader for younger kids. Uh, so they're coming out. And then uh, another Pugnacious and Scuttlebutt will be coming out, which I'm looking forward to. 
And then I've actually got some books coming out in the, in the States, which hopefully will make it out over here as well. They're with HarperCollins over there. And the first one's called A Very Dinosaur Birthday, which is about what happens when dinosaurs crash, literally, your birthday party. So, <laughs> Love yeah, it. So got, got those ones coming out next year. Sounds like a big year. That's awesome. What about you, Michael? Well, um, we, we haven't mentioned a couple of other books that just came out Ooh, a, yes. a month or so ago. These two cricket books, um, Nice Gary, a little series that I'm, I'm writing with Nathan Lyon, uh, the Australian cricketer who's a, a, an off-spin bowler. Um, but they're, they're um, I guess they're for seven to 12-year-olds kind of thing. And we're thinking we're going to see how they go and then possibly do a few more of those awesome. um, next year. And um, and I'm working on several things which may or may not reach the deadline of being publishable by <laughs> next year. So, But uh, I've got a, a, a picture book, a, a middle reader, um, which Wayne is working with me on, Wayne Bryant, we keep mentioning, um, and a, um, a young adult uh, novel. Oh, so um Mixing which uh, yeah which would be quite a departure from my normal sort of stuff so um but but i'm not sure which will or won't make the deadline of 2023 <laughs> you've got a few things coming have you adrian uh i have got uh yes i've got more furball uh hopefully two but definitely one but i think two um, that's if I get my act together. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, more furball coming out and then, um, we'll see what else, what else might pop up along the, along the way. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much. Adam Wallace, who's a legend and Michael yeah. Wagner, who's been here for this, uh, takeover episode <laughs> of Words and Nerds. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for having Fantastic. us. Thanks for having us. Thanks guys. And thanks Danny. Bye. Bye.